real quickly. Merry Christmas, by the way, because I have a Christmas present from you. From you. You look at uh, the page where it says announcements, and at the bottom it says the giving report and our building fund and loan remaining balance. See that? Paid in full. Amen. This is uh, the Lord's money, obviously, but it comes from the good people of the Lord. So thank you so much. Uh, um, we were able to retire this debt way early. We've been paying down on it because of your, your kindness and your generosity each and every month over the last few years. And um, so we, we got to a place where we had the money in the bank, more than what the balance was in the loan, and plenty of money for six months of operating expenses. And it was a no-brainer for the elders and the deacons to say, um, we're debt-free, you know, to get out of debt and to do that. So uh, praise God for that, will you? Uh, we're going to keep a building fund uh, for whatever the next steps are. Sometime this next year, we'll start looking at our master plan once again, uh, paid in full. You remember when we were when Jesus was on the cross and he said, it is finished, that word tetelestai, um, is a Greek word. It was used in, in commerce, and they found um, bills where they wrote over the top, paid in full. And so it is finished. It is paid in full. So we praise God for that. So thank you, folks. Appreciate uh, being the, the shepherd of a, of a church where people uh, give generously. You know, it's not something we talk a lot about, but you, you get the idea. You're healthy, and we're, we're, we thank God for that. All right, we are going to finish John's Gospel this morning. So the first thing we're going to do is pray. Would you join with me as we pray this morning? Father, we're grateful for this great study of John's Gospel that we've been in. And we ask that as we bring it to a close this morning, you would bring home to us the main lessons of the Gospel, but also of the Gospel itself, that Christ died and rose again and how we are to live out the life and the teachings and the death and the resurrection and the love of Christ in all that we do. And so we ask that you would help us, Father, this morning uh, to be able to recall what we have learned um, in the past and to bring it to bear this morning at this Christmas Advent season as well so that you would be honored and glorified. These things we pray. In the name of Christ, our Lord and our Savior, amen. Just like all Christmas presents, we want to put a bow on the Gospel of John this morning and uh, tie it down. This is the end of our study of John's Gospel. We've been at it for two years. Our first message was January 4th of 2020, and uh, it's been two full years in John's Gospel. It's been a great study, exactly two years it is also the end of Advent, and so we are coinciding, uh, ending John's Gospel with the end of Advent again. Um, and our theme from John's Gospel is this. Uh, John is the gospel of light and life. That has been our theme through these last two years. And our Advent theme is quite similar, light and life to all he brings. From the great hymn, Hark the Herald Angel Sing, Glory to the Newborn King, that that line, light and life to all he brings, which comes from John's gospel. We light the candles, and thank you, um, um, Jerry and Donna, for lighting the candle of peace this morning. When we light the candles every week in Advent, they have to do with light. 
because they represent that this old, broken down, dark, and inhospitable world has received hope through the Messiah. Light has come, and the Messiah has come into this dark world. The light pierces the darkness, and the light dispels the darkness of this world. And the light conquers the darkness because darkness in John's gospel is not just the absence of light, but it is moral darkness, ethical darkness. It is the darkness of sin and evil and death, and the light of Christ comes to dispel that dark darkness and to conquer it once and for all. So we end our study as we end Advent, and both of them really cause us to look forward because the word Advent really means arrival. In the Old Testament, they were looking forward to the arrival of the Messiah. He did come in his first coming. Uh, in church history and in our time, we celebrate Advent to celebrate his first coming, the arrival of the Son of God, the Messiah, on earth. But it also serves to point us forward that he is going to arrive once again. And so it's not just about feeling warm and cozy at Christmas time, but we're looking over the horizon to the return of Christ, to the arrival of Christ once again, because when that happens, when he came and when he will come back, it is the inauguration of, of redemption and the event of the cross that brought light and life and hope and peace to mankind. And that's why we celebrate Advent, and that's why we have been through John's Gospel. Many have said that the prologue in John's Gospel, John 1, 1 through 18, pretty much tells you all that you need to know about the Gospel of John. Everything else kind of fills in the blanks. So uh, we're going to have a, a little bit of a longer reading this morning. We're going to read uh, the prologue, which is John 1, 1 through 18. And then we're going to turn over to chapter 21 and read those last two verses, 21, 24, and 25. So please turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 1. And if you are able, I ask you to please stand to give honor to the reading of God's word. John chapter 1. Beginning in 1, we'll read 1 through 18, then we'll turn over to chapter 21, the last two verses. Please give attention to the reading of God's Word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him, and apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In Him was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There came a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. There was the true light, which coming into the world enlightens every man. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified about him and cried out, saying, 
This was he of whom I said, he who comes after me has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. For of his fullness we have all received in grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, he has explained him. And turn over to chapter 21, verses 24 and 25. This is the disciple who is testifying to these things and wrote these things, and we know that his testimony is true. And there are also many other things which Jesus did, which if they were written in detail, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. And God's people said, Amen. Thank you. Please be seated. So we are in verses 24 and 25 of, of uh, chapter 21, and we're going to dip back into to John's uh, prologue from time to time and other passages in John's gospel. But this is what I want us to see, first of all, from chapter 21, verse 24. Our testimony of the life of Jesus is truth. John has a testimony of the life of Jesus, and it's all about truth. And we know, having studied the entire book of John, that he is the way, the truth, and the life. So the testimony of John is the same as our testimony. And John says this in verse 24, This is the disciple who is testifying to these things. The word testifying is that word from which we get the word martyr. And martyrs are those who stand up and they testify about the truthfulness and the veracity, the truth. The, the goodness and the life of Jesus Christ, even unto death, like Peter was called to. This is the disciples testifying to these things and wrote these things, and we know that his testimony is true. Characteristic of John's gospel, he, in a very obtuse way, John refers to himself. He never, he never says, I am John. We know that from all that is, uh, the, the, the clues that he gives. In fact, there are about seven times that he refers to himself many times as the, the disciple whom Jesus loved, the one who leaned on his, his breast. But he says that he wrote these things. He, he's identifying himself as the first-hand witness of the events that he has seen and that he has written them down. Note the similarity of words uh, that, that John had when, when he was speaking about the death of Christ. Back in chapter 19, he had talked about uh, remember, they, they pierced his side with a sword, and out came water and blood. And John said at that point, and he who has seen has testified, and his testimony is true. And he knows that he is telling the truth so that you also may believe. So you see, he testifies about the death of Christ. I saw it happen with my own eyes. Here, at the end of the resurrection appearances, he testifies of the resurrection of Christ. I saw this also with my own eyes, and I wrote it down. This is the gospel by which we are saved. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and he rose from the dead according to the scriptures on the third day. And that's the truth that we place our hope in. But when he says this in verse 24, he's also including the entire sweep of his writings, he wrote all of this. This disciple 
is testifying to these things, and he wrote these things. And notice how he, the interesting language he says, and we know that his testimony is true. A lot has been written about what is John talking about. Some think he, he's talking about the other apostles or the elders at Ephesus. I think it's more likely that he's using a figure of speech here, just uh, the editorial we, meaning he's not alone in this. There are, this is an apostolic thing that he testifies to, the truth of Christ, and he writes with apostolic authority, and we know that he is true, speaking of himself. Um, we saw his glory, and we know his testimony is true. This is the disciple that's testifying to these things. In chapter 1, verse 14, we just read it, but I'll put it up here because I think this is the connection with the beginning of the book and the end of the book, one of the connections. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw, he says, we, not I saw, we saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace of truth. We saw it, we saw it. And then he says the same thing at the end of the gospel, we saw what is true, and we, his testimony is true. So he, he pulls together, bookends John's gospel with, we saw his glory, and we saw all that he did, and we know that this testimony is true. Two things I want you to notice at this point for us. Like John, our testimony of Jesus is truth, which means your testimony must be based upon the truth of Jesus Christ. We don't make stuff up. We don't add to it. We don't take away from it. As long as we're focusing on he is the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father but him, that he is the truth. He is the source of truth because he is the divine logos before, who existed before the foundation of the world. The very idea and concept of truth is Jesus Christ. And so our testimony has to be to that truth. It's not like your truth and this person's truth, or there's a new truth out there. No, he is the truth. And like John, our testimony of Jesus is truth as long as we are believing in him and proclaiming him as the eternal son of God, crucified, risen, and coming again, then our testimony is truth as, just as John's was. Second of all, in 2022, which is just around the corner, I don't know if you've noticed that or not, do not neglect the written word nor the incarnate word. The incarnate word, which is Jesus come in the flesh, he, he lives in us now by his spirit, but he has given us the word. Notice what John says, the disciple who is testifying to these things and wrote these things. This is the word graphe. This is the word for, we get the word graphic from it. It is translated oftentimes in the scriptures as scripture. In other words, John inscripturated all the things that he saw. And everything that we have read and studied in John's gospel is scripture. It is here recorded. Remember in chapter 6, he said, I am the bread of life. And you must eat of the bread of life and you will live because man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. What you have in your hands is from the beginning to end the witness of Jesus Christ. Not just J John chapter 1 to John chapter 21, 
But from Genesis 1 to Revelation at the very end, this is all about him. Do not neglect it. This is his scripture. This is the word that he has given to us and handed down to us. From beginning to end, it is, the, it is the, the record of the life and the mission and the teaching and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ all in this book. And that's what the Bible is all about. It's about him. It's not just a guide for living to have a better life. It is about the glory of Christ. And we are witnesses of this. So do not neglect his written word. And do not neglect the incarnate word, in other words, Jesus Christ, in your relationship with him. And I would add this, do not neglect his bride, his church, like we saw a couple of weeks ago. Because you, you don't get one without the other. If you get Jesus, you have his church. So, John bore testimony of the truthfulness of the life of Christ, and he wrote it down, he inscripturated it for us. And then the last verse of John's gospel is this in verse 25, where we see the work and the riches of Jesus is unfathomable. Here I'm borrowing from Ephesians chapter 3, and we'll come around to that. But the work and the riches of Jesus Christ are unfathomable. They are uncalculable. They are unsearchable. They are beyond our ability to understand. Verse 25 John says, and there are also many other things which Jesus did, which if they were written in detail, I suppose that even the world itself would not contain the books that would be written. This is the only place I think where John speaks in the first person where he says, I suppose. Everywhere else he refers to the disciple whom Jesus loved, that disciple, the one who leaned on his breast. But here he says, I, I suppose this. Because as he has written down all of the, the things that Jesus Christ has done, he, his, his brain is exploding. There, there's, he's written down all that he could, but there's no more that he could write down. I guess in some senses it's obvious. This would be true of the life of any individual. If you were to write someone's biography, um, it's impossible to include every detail of that person's life. And every conversation and every place that they ever went, whatever, however small that it might be. Edwin Bloom said this. It has been estimated that if all the words from the lips of Jesus cited in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John were read aloud, the amount of time taken to read them would be about three hours. All the recorded words of Jesus in all the Gospels. Three hours. He goes on to say, since the ministry of Jesus lasted about three years, a three-hour sample of his teaching is really a very small amount. How many other conversations did he have? How many other messages did he preach to, to the crowds? How many other people did he, did he heal and bring back from the dead, perhaps even? How many lepers did he cleanse? But they, these things we have. We have the writings by John himself, who walked with Jesus. He followed him as a disciple. He leaned on his breast. He was with him. He saw him suffer. He saw him die. He saw him raised from the dead. And he recorded for us the things that are sufficient, the things that will help us, and the things that are enough for us to believe. 
Remember chapter 20, verse 30. This is the, the last summary. It says this, Therefore many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. There are lots of other miracles that he performed. John chose seven or eight or nine, just a few. But he says many other things, many other things he did, but these are enough for your salvation. These are enough to convince you that Jesus is the Christ. These are enough for you to understand and believe that he is your Messiah, that he is your Savior, that he is your God. But those things that he has done are also incalculable. The details of the life of Jesus could not be enumerated. John began his testimony, remember at the very beginning, by saying, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And he made all things. This is the God who made all things. So where does John's story begin? It doesn't start in Bethlehem. John's story doesn't, doesn't start with genealogies. John's story of the divine logos, the logos, the second person of the Trinity, begins in eternity past, before there was time. And when I say eternity past, it's a misuse of words because there was no time. But he existed with the Father. He was God and he created all things, including time. So he was working, even in, in the past, to choose us. He was also working when he created all things. The second person of the Trinity, the Son of God, was working from creation all the way through the Old Testament to the time he was born, to the time he was crucified, the time he rose, and the time he will return. He's always working. So since he is infinite, no, there is no way to write down all the books. There, there is no way to record everything that Jesus has done. There is no way to, to record all the things that the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God, has done from creation to revelation. Everything that he has done is mind-boggling to us, and it should be. Because he's infinite and books are finite. In fact, he says, even the world could not contain them. That's the cosmos. The entire universe cannot contain all the things that the second person of the Trinity has done. Ephesians 3.8 says this. That's where I get this. To me, the very least of all the saints... This grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ. Unsearchable, incalculable, not unknowable, unknowable completely, but he has given to us that which is sufficient for us to believe in him. Two things, two things I want you to know. We have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, Ephesians 1, 3. We have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, all those things that Jesus uh, 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 has that are part of his being, all of his, uh, his workings, all of his blessings reside in heaven and are given to us. Ephesians 1, 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father 
of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. When did he do that? Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. When did the work of Jesus begin of your redemption? It began before the foundation of the world, before he created all things. That's mind-boggling, and it should be mind-boggling because salvation is always of the Lord, and it causes us to worship him. Second thing I want you to note is this. Put your Christmas presents in perspective this year. Put those presents in perspective. How many of you remember what you got last year? About the year before, (laughs) Are there things that stick out? Maybe once in a while you remember when you were 12 years old and you got the bike or whatever it was, but for the most part, we don't remember. And we won't remember this year, next year, those things. Because nothing compares to him. His blessings are incalculable. His his blessings are unsearchable. His blessings are unfathomable. Nothing lasts that bike, it's going away. The, the computer, it's going to rust. Nothing will satisfy. It's fun for a while to have those video games or to have the, the, that, that uh, coat that you always wanted or those boots or whatever it may be, but they're going to wear out, and after a while they go, you know what, I need a new coat. Nothing lasts, nothing satisfies, nothing compares to him. And so this Christmas... Put those presents in perspective, recognizing that when you open all those presents on, sun, on, on Saturday morning, this Christmas, remember the greatest present, the greatest gift of all, and everything else is tinfoil, tinsel. It pales in comparison to him. Amen? It does. So, we want to look at what are some of his works. Because uh, John has said, um, these are the things were written about him, and there are so many things, which Jesus did, which if they were written, the world could not contain them, the whole universe. But uh, we're going to to look at some of the works of John and just a a flyover review of John's gospel. But we're going to do it this way. We're going to look at one line of the hymn we've been singing, our key hymn for Christmas, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Each week we have been looking at a different line that has been our theme. Our theme this week is light and life to all he brings, which has been the overall theme of Advent. So rather than a a chronological review of John's gospel, we're just going to hit some high points by looking at some of the, the lines of this particular stanza of Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Number one, he is the eternal Prince of Peace. Hail the heavenly Prince of Peace, we have sung. He is the eternal Prince of Peace. And where does that come from? Do we know where that comes from? Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. Isaiah 9, 6 says, For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. The baby will have four names, in a sense. 
But they're not really names per se. They're really titles, descriptive titles of the Son of God, the baby born in a manger. He is the eternal Father. He's the wonderful counselor. He's the the mighty God. He's the Prince of Peace. That is who the baby born in a manger was. It's hard to understand that because we think of him as just a helpless little child who needs his diaper changed and needs his mother to feed him. Not helpless. He's the eternal God. This is the description of the royalty of the Prince of Peace. He's called the Wonderful Counselor. Wonderful means extraordinary. He is the supernatural counselor, supreme. In other words, this is the source of wisdom. It is the baby, is the source of all wisdom because he is the divine logos. Wisdom beyond anything this world can offer you. And you seek counselors and you seek help and we seek self-help books. No, he is the extraordinary supernatural counselor. You want answers to the perplexities of life's issues? You know where they ultimately come from? You know where they lie? The answers lie in Jesus Christ because he is the wonderful counselor. And sometimes they're not tied up in a little bowl like our Christmas presents. Sometimes they're kind of messy. But then we go with the Apostle Paul who says, I prayed three times for this thing to leave me, but I found out that his grace is sufficient. All I need is his grace. And his power is perfected in my, whip, in my weakness as he leads me through trials. This baby is called Almighty God. He is the great warrior king who possesses all power and sovereign rule, spoken of as a baby, the sovereign rule of this child to be born. He's called the Eternal Father. Don't confuse the father with the son. Literally, the, word, the, the title means he is the father of eternity, which means he is the, the beginner. He is the source of it. Jesus said, I am not of this world. He said, all in John, I came in my father's name. And finally, he said, I and the father are one. So they are one, but they are distinct. But he is still the, the, the source of all time and all things. That's why he is called the father of eternity or perpetuity. And he's called the Prince of Peace. Jesus is the Messiah. He is the ruler, king, who brings the fulfillment of righteousness and peace as we have seen this morning in this week of peace. So, he is the Prince of Peace. Second of all, he is the light of the world. The hymn goes on to say this, Hail the Son of Righteousness, light and life to all he brings, risen with healing in his wings. This these two lines, Hail the Son of Righteousness, risen with healing in his wings, comes from Malachi chapter 4, and he inserts light and life to all he brings from John chapter 1, right here. Malachi is um, the, the, the last book of the Old Testament, and the, Israel is in the land, and Israel has rebuilt the temple. They're still having problems. And Malachi is saying, Messiah is coming, but there is also a day of the Lord. This is what Malachi 4.2 says. But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings, and you will go forth and skip about like calves from a stall. Wesley meant this in English as a pun, I think, when he said the sun of righteousness, S-U-N, referring to S-O-N, the sun of righteousness, 
it's unclear in Malachi exactly all that this means, but we have this idea that there is a dawning of redemption that is coming, and there is a figure of speech of these wings that are rising over the dawn, and with that, the, the rising of those wings of Messiah coming comes great healing. The healing not from COVID and cancer, but the healing from COVID and cancer and sin and death and every other thing in this world, hurricanes and tornadoes. This is the healing that he brings. By the way, in Malachi, let me just read the um, uh, portion of that last, um, that last chapter because he says, excuse me, <clears throat> He's, it's not all good news, by the way. He, it's, it's a warning. He says, For behold, a day is coming, burning like a furnace, and all the arrogant and every evildoer will be chaff. And the day that is coming will set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, those of you who are believers, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings, and you will go forth and skip like calves from a stall. Have you ever seen that happen with a calf, little calf in a stall? You open it up, and they're, they're pent up, and they just kind of skip around. And it's a funny little thing. Joy, the coming of Messiah, Christmas, results in joy. Then he goes on, you will tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day which I am preparing, says the Lord of hosts. Remember the law of Moses, my servant, even the statutes and ordinance which I commanded him in Horeb for all Israel. Behold, I am going to send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. He will restore the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers so that I will not come and smite the land with a curse. Thus ends Malachi. The last book of the Old Testament is a warning about the day of the Lord, the second coming of Christ, the next advent, the next arrival. But in the middle of that, there is a hope and promise for us that those who believe the son of righteousness will provide the healing that is necessary and we will skip about like calves because we will have the joy that he brings. In him was life and the life was the light of man. John 1, 4 says, and Jesus also said, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. He enlightens every man because he shines on every man. But remember what, John, what Jesus said. He said, the world hates me. The world hates the light. And if it hates the light, it will hate you as well. And so the world sees the creative work of God, and they are without excuse, but they turn away because their deeds are evil and they hate him. But those who believe have hope. Third, he is the God of glory. He is the God of glory. In other words, he's the great I am. Mild, he lays his glory by. John 1, 1 again, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God in verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. He left heaven. He took on human flesh, and he did that mildly. 
Philippians talks about that. He did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. And, he, and he's giving to, given to us that humility that he mildly laid aside his place in heaven to become one of us. And he laid it aside, so mild he lays his glory by. Number four, he is the resurrection and the life. The song goes on to say this, born that man no more may die. That's why he was born, that you might live. John eleven twenty five. at the resurrection of Lazarus, and he said to her sister, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies, and everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? I hope you do. Born that man no more may die. Fifth, he is the judge of the living and the dead. He is coming back. His arrival could be whenever, at any time, his second advent. But he is the judge of the living and dead. And the song goes on to say, born to raise the sons of earth. Remember, we saw in John chapter 5, he will raise everyone from the dead, not just Christians, but unbelievers as well, some to everlasting life and some to everlasting punishment. But he has given that authority, John 5, 25. Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and now is, when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. He will call your name and you will live once again. For just as the Father has life in himself, even so he gave, son, gave to his Son also to have life in himself. And he gave him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. He's coming back and we do not shrink at his coming. We do not want to but we, we, and we need to be prepared for his return. But we also realize that when he comes back, it's over. And those who have not called on the name of the Lord, it is too late for them. And so Christmas season is an opportunity for us to sow widely the seeds of the gospel that we would have many more sons and daughters come into his kingdom. Number six, he is the source of eternal life. That is the new birth. Born to give them second birth, the, the song says. John 3, 5, we remember this. Truly, truly, I say to you, and he's speaking to Nicodemus, unless one is born of water and spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but do not know where it comes from and where it is going. So is everyone who is born of the spirit. As we've listened to testimonies, that's the direction that the Spirit of God has blown, and he has brought people to himself as he has drawn them. And we must remember that the new birth is by the Holy Spirit, and he would, the Holy Spirit would only come once Jesus completed his work. Remember in John chapter 7, Jesus stood up on that great feast day, the day of the feast, and he stood and he cried out, saying, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me, and he'll open invitation. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke of the spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive. 
For the Son of God was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. Once he was crucified and raised and returned to the Father, Pentecost, the Holy Spirit has come, and now we can be born again. And finally, number seven, he is the object of our worship and devotion. Last line of Hark the Herald Angels Sing, Glory to the newborn king. Glory to the newborn king. John 17, 24 speaks of this glory, Jesus' high priestly prayer. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me be with me where I am so that you, they may see my glory, which you have given me for you love me before the foundation of the world. He becomes the object of our worship and our devotion to give him glory. In conclusion, John is the gospel of light and life. Remember, gospel means good news, and this is good news. And our Advent theme is light and life to all he brings. But we need to understand this. His light is his glory. His glory is the end goal of all things. His glory is the end goal of Christmas. His glory is the end goal of our lives. His glory is the end goal of all of history. It's all about him. And that is our responsibility and that's our task as a church to bring glory to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. So three questions for you. Have you believed in Jesus as your Savior and Lord through John's gospel or perhaps even this morning? Are you looking to his return in following him as a disciple in spite of your trials? Are you living by his spirit, excuse me, by his written and Holy Spirit inspired word? That's our response to John's gospel. As you prepare for the Lord's table, I want you to make sure that this Christmas you give Jesus his due. From the songs that we sing to the passages that we preach, the wonder of the baby in a manger is incredible to behold. He is the creator of the world. He existed before there was time. He existed before there was matter. This is the one who became a, ba a baby and said, let there be light. This is the one who became a baby and said, I am that I am. He is the one who became a baby and said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. He is the one who became a baby and said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? This is your declaration that you believe this this morning. Would you take a moment as we pray for the elements and then we will partake together with our declaration that he is the light of the world, the way, the truth, and the life. Thank you for giving to us your son and for the incalculable blessings and riches that are ours in him. Thank you for the story of his life. We pray that as we partake of this communion, which is the last communion in our study of the, the book of John, 
that you would make it memorable, that we would live for you. Thank you for this Christmas season that points us to the arrival of the Son of God. And we look forward to his soon return because as we do this, we declare the Lord's death until he returns. Amen. Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me.